Welcome to the Manifestation Lab. This is your host, Kelly Howe. From the grounded science to the mystical and unseen, we're investigating this big experiment we call life and finding what really works when it comes to manifesting a life that sets your heart and your soul on fire. Welcome to the lab. When I was about 10 years old, my dad and I had a conversation that truly changed my life and possibly the trajectory of my life. It opened me up to the unseen realm. I already had a sense that it existed, but I didn't get a lot of validation in my outside life. But this conversation changed everything. I wish I could remember exactly how the conversation came up, what we were talking about, what led into it. I wish I could remember, but it's been so long ago. But my dad sat me down that day and told me about his near-death experience, or as he likes to call it, his death experience. He would laugh and say, I don't understand. I died. I don't know why people call it a near-death experience. I did die in that moment. I just happened to come back. My dad was a longtime addict and at that time was had a very dangerous and deep addiction to drugs and alcohol. He overdosed on IV drugs one day and this led into really a life-changing moment for him, a wake-up moment for him. But he sat me down to tell me the story of floating up above his body, seeing his lifeless body laying on the ground, seeing his friends around him panicked, shaking him, trying to revive him, trying to wake him up, and feeling nothing but love and bliss, a love that is truly indescribable. He would say, it's not like anything you felt before. It's deeper. It's more meaningful. It's more complete. It is pure bliss and love. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, he just <laughs> he just shot up with heroin. So of course you would feel that. But if you've listened to near-death experiences, this story is common and this experience is not that unusual. He told me that he traveled into the light, as you've heard many other people describe, into this beautiful light. He met the creator. He said that for him, it showed up as Jesus because of his religious upbringing. And he described that there was this knowing that whatever your belief system is, that's who you will meet. But it is truly the same creator for all of us. There is only one God. We make these stories. We make up these different religions. We have different beliefs. But truly, you meet the creator. It may look like whatever your mental construct creates for you, but it's all the same thing. He said that he was downloaded with all the information in the universe. It was like suddenly he understood everything. All the information was accessible. And he said that he was given the choice to come back. He said he could go or he could stay. And he thought of my sisters and I, and he was instantly back in his body. Now, that story woke something up inside of me. It's not that I felt like I had had a near-death experience before, but it was like the discussion, it, the acknowledgement of the unseen realm of being outside of your body felt so familiar and so normal and so welcome <laughs> in my psyche. And that moment led me on a path of 
wanting to understand, wanting to discover. I loved reading books about near-death experiences. I loved watching the shows. I still do. I really, truly can't get enough of it. Hearing stories about near-death experiences and past life experiences, again, it's just like there's something inside of me that says, yes, I want to learn more. I want to know more. There's a deep resonance that just feels like home. Flash forward to today, I get to sit down with a woman who has had not one and not two, but three profound near-death experiences. Today, my guest is Joyce Anastasia. Joyce is a transformational leadership consultant. She is also the author of Extraordinary Leadership During Extraordinary Times. She loves to work with global leaders, visionary leaders, and extraordinary individuals to learn to navigate current challenges, opportunities, and manifest ethically positive impact in the world. Joyce is such a treasure. She tells this magnificent story of her third near-death experience. Now, I would love to invite you all to go to her website, leadbywisdom.com, and watch some of her videos so she can go deeper into explaining her other two near-death experiences. These stories are truly incredible. And Joyce took all the wisdom, just like my dad, when he got downloaded with all the information in the world, she takes that wisdom and brings it back for visionary leaders. I think that this conversation is fascinating. And she even takes me on a journey and does a short reading for me. I did go ahead and cut the reading short for confidentiality reasons. Not for me. I'm actually an open book and I'm happy to share everything that's going on. But we start talking about um, parenting and one of my sons. And um, I had to cut the conversation a little bit short for his confidentiality. But for anybody who is leading a team including someone who is parenting, because of course, parenting is one of the most important leadership roles that we will ever step into. Stick around because these nuggets of wisdom that Joyce drops are just incredible and just so useful for today. Hey there. Hello. How are you? It's lovely to meet you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we were able to make this work and get together. I really appreciate your time. And um, I've been reading your book. Unfortunately, it's much bigger. I read really quickly, but I didn't get the book in time to get through the whole thing. But um, I'm really enjoying it. And I feel like the leaders of the world need you and need everything that's in that book. So I'm just so grateful for your time. Um, Joyce, I'd love to start with talking about your book, Extraordinary Leadership During Extraordinary Times. And I'd love to know, how was this book birthed? Because when I when I initially saw the title, I have to admit that I assumed that it was probably born out of the last couple of years. <laughs> and it looks like that's not the case. However, everything inside of it is exactly what our leaders need to hear today. So how did this book come about for you? Kelly, I really appreciate you recognizing that overlap to today. And my life has taken many, many meandering paths, but they all are grounded and founded in the same spiritual leadership focus that uh, I think I recognized as a very small child. So 
I will have to go and dive right to my third near-death experience because... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because even though there were many other elements that led up to my writing this book on leadership and making choices that I did, the near-death experience, without even consciously knowing, was the start point from, mm-hmm. uh, from which I... I created, well, I was guided to create it. Let me put it that way. Sure. And I'd love to just let our listeners know, and we'll talk about it, but this wasn't Joyce's first near-death experience or even her second. This was the third one, (laughs) and she's getting ready to tell us the story. But um, yeah, three of them in one life is quite a lot. So yeah, go ahead and tell us what happened. Yeah, and let me also preface this with having a near-death experience um, is an extraordinary thing, beautiful, expansive. However, it also comes with caveats and fallouts of your own physicality and other things that might have resulted from you going into that space and coming back again. So... This near-death experience was one that was most traumatic for me. I had moved from Florida to New York to help my parents. My dad was sick with cancer, and I was helping them to just manage that. I had also just come off of a divorce, which was probably one of the most challenging decisions I've made in my life. And I left my job and left that um, scenario and came to New York. When my father went into remission during that time period, I was grappling with so many things that happened and not in a place of understanding my own power, the power to be, the power to live. I was definitely in a place of operating out of fear. So when I was ready, I started looking for jobs. I wanted to move forward with my life. I was a professor at the time. I taught art and psychology. And I wanted to go in a place that was kind of expansive, but from the ground up, so to speak. So I got a position at a college where they were building a new building. And I took it partly out of fear to help to just get my foot in the door. But the salary was a third of what I had been making previously. Mm -hmm. It was literally poverty wages. So when I arrived, my boss, who was head of the department, actually kept asking me pretty much on a daily basis, would you date me? Would you date Mm -hmm. me? Would you date me? Now, I was very focused on my work in the world. I loved teaching. I loved my students and did not want to say yes to these invitations. And I said that very clearly. But after a while, I became so connected with the school. We were working 
almost round the clock with the new building, working together side by side. Uh, this, this man that I worked with was a very diverse man, a very interesting man, a very, um, he was a very good man in many ways, but he also had an edge of anger and uh, so much so that this is how it showed up. So I finally said yes to his invitations. And how long had you been working there at that point? Uh, approximately a year. Okay. He was persistent. Very persistent. And I knew in my heart that I was fighting against myself which leads to the first chapter of my book, which is consciously choosing power with versus power over. Now, some people look at that and say, well, nations could power over other nations. Uh, bosses could power over people. But my boss, in a way, was powering over me. And I'll give you examples of that. Mm -hmm. But I was also powering over myself mm -hmm. because I knew in my heart that's not what I wanted to do. Why did I say yes? I was afraid of losing my job. Mm -hmm. Operating out of fear, as you said. Yeah, exactly. So fast forward several months later, actually a long time later, I said, I, I can't be in this relationship anymore. This is not healthy for me. It's not healthy for me. And I was still doing all this work. We were, again, working side by side, probably 65-hour work weeks, building this new building and teaching full loads and running departments. Mm -hmm. So I said to him somewhere in this space that I did not want to date him anymore. And I needed to step back from that. He did everything he could to intimidate me, take away privileges, demote mm. me, everything that you can imagine happened. He, um, even it was possible that he might've slashed my tires because there were no, and there was no one else who mm -hmm. would intentionally do something. Certainly like falls in line with the other behavior, I would think. Exactly. So this was going on and I finally said, I need, I need to talk with you. I wrote to my supervisor, his supervisor did everything I could on my end to stop this uh, short of going to a lawyer. This was well before the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. So this one day I went to his home to have a dialogue with him about this, that there, there must be a healthy way to move through this. And in the process of having this dialogue, he got so angry with me that he literally lunged for me and began to strangle me, which oh my gosh. completely uh, blew my mind. It, it just really, I was so stunned I can't imagine the shock that you must have felt when that happened. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't expect that. Not at all. And um, 
when that happens in your body, there is a flight, fright, freeze. Well, my mm -hmm. body froze. I literally could mm -hmm. not move. And so here he is strangling me and in the midst of strangling me. And this is what threw me over the edge and in, internally. He whispered in my ear, I could kill you mm. and I could drag you into the desert and no one would ever find you. Oh my gosh. Ugh. And so as he's saying it in the last words of that, I went unconscious. I was that popped me out of my body. And I was suddenly being escorted in this beautiful way, went from terror and pain because it literally hurt my throat. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But popped into this space that was the complete opposite. Mm. Peace, total relaxation of my body. As I'm sure if you've heard of near-death experiences, the white tunnel. Yes, yeah. The moving uh, through this. But there were so many different things that were going on, Kelly. So these, these angels are moving me through this space. And... I'm seeing swirling colors, almost like the Aurora Borealis. Mm. And just in awe. And what had just transpired was as if it was totally gone. It had disappeared. I was going to ask if there was any awareness or thought even, because it was so wonderful and beautiful of what had just happened. Not in that moment. Okay. Very soon afterward. So setting the context, I want to say the experience I had in that near-death experience felt like decades, right? But it was seconds or mm. maybe maybe at most a minute because I literally would have been dead if. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Without if, oxygen and blood and yeah. If it was longer than that. So the angels brought me to a place where everything was white and before my eyes was a book that I think was floating mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was white on white. So you could barely see the differentiation between the book and the background. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I often, uh, because I had dyslexia as a kid, I would also often read books backward from the end cover backward. And that's how it was presented to me, which I thought was just super fantastic. That is, yes. <laughs> so, so I was told, this is your life, but we want you to start from here backward. And we'd like you to witness all the ways in which you created beauty in the world in which you said a kind word to people, in which you were making choices that were healthy for you and healthy for the world. So mm -hmm. I did this. And 
just as soon as they asked me to do it, I remembered what was going on. I was being strangled. And I was a little confused. Like I can imagine the confusion. Yeah. How would this be? Like, where am I right now? Mm-hmm. But that was just a fleeting moment. And feeling this great peace. I just followed these beautiful instructions and started weeping because I was being shown that I had done so many so much. beautiful things in the world. And then they had me go back to the end, <laughs> which was now, which was then, when I was being strangled, and going back again. But this time, go back and just see the ways in which I consciously or unconsciously might have harmed someone by by lying, by powering over, by being out of integrity, by not using my ethical knowing, by not being, um, not remembering that we are all a part of this same source of divine love. So I did that. And again, I expressed the emotion of regret of, oh, my goodness, you know, oh, I didn't even know that that word harmed someone. Mm-hmm. And the, the angels and the being said to me, but look at how, look at the contrast, please now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. And you can forgive yourself because there is no shame or blame in this. But what we would love for you to do and why you're here now is to take responsibility that going forward, no matter where you are, you don't need to do that again. So the more conscious you become, the more responsible you become for your own life, the more that there will be peace within you and peace within others. And you'll be able to use that energy to create beautiful things on the beautiful planet Earth. So then I was plummeted into yet another scene of my relatives all Mm. greeting me and and just a reunion of where did they come from and where were they now almost like that book of my life was a book was their book being expressed to me Mm. then I was taken back before this lifetime. And what I was shown, I was shown many hundreds of things that it would take hours to unravel, (laughs) but I'm going to pick one. Okay. One thing I was shown was this. In another lifetime, during around what seemed to be the French Revolution, I was 
an executioner. Oh my. One of those black covers over my face. Oh, wow. And I pulled the cord to chop the head off the man in current life. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. In that space, Kelly, I was in shock. Uh huh. But at the same time, it was like everything in that moment came together. Yeah. I was told I was I was not holding karma around this. Okay. Which would mean I would have to atone for. But what I was being shown was that in that lifetime, I turned a blind eye to what my life path was intended to be. And in so doing, I was taking someone else's life. Now, there might have been all sorts of rationale around that, right? Sure. So, more and more things. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things I want to say, but I'm I'm also so engulfed in the story. So, I'm going to let you finish. (laughs) And then I'm going to, like, ask you a million questions. So, one more thing that I want to to say about this near-death experience was then, because I recognized that event so in so much in seconds time I was then propelled into the center of a circle of master teachers there Mm -hmm. were 12 of them and several of them I several of them I recognized I saw Jesus Christ Krishna Buddha there were two um, female master teachers, but I don't remember the names. And they basically said to me, would you like to receive universal information so that you can bring it back with you if you choose? Oh my gosh. Now, (laughs) Kelly, yes. (laughs) What do you think my answer was? (laughs) Yes, bring it. Thank you. Yes. And I said, the only trouble is I I want to be able to remember it. Yeah. Please help me to remember it was my response. So for what seemed to be hours and days and weeks and months, I was receiving all of this incredible information and wisdom about life, about other planetary systems about other beings about what earth life was about and at the end of that they said to me or a booming voice I want to say God's source said okay now Joyce it's time for your decision would you like to stay or would you like to go back would you like to stay here in the, mm. or would you like to go back? Well, if I were operating merely out of my humanness, I would say, I absolutely prefer peace. <laughs> and this amazing yeah. feeling and this amazing learning. 
But I knew in my soul that if I chose to come back, I might not need to choose another body in which to do it and go from the beginning of babyhood and little baby steps and go through all the things that we have to do in being human. Mm -hmm. But do it now. How cool would that be? Yeah. Right? To take all the wisdom from this life and then all of a sudden this this vast amount of wisdom all at the same time to jump back in, I mean, is an exciting <laughs> prospect. <laughs> and to navigate through it. So I made the choice and I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If you're going to send me back, I need a little help because I'm still being strangled back there. And they gave me instructions. They told me exactly what to do. They told me that when I when I get back, I am to take my hands and put them on his hands, and they will take their hands and put them on my hands. And together, we will remove his hands from my neck. I will grab my purse for identification and run and not look back. Oh, my gosh. So second, pop, I'm back. I do exactly what they say. Now, to put it into perspective on a physiological basis, physical basis, I am approximately five foot, 90 Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you look like a very tiny person. Yes. And, and this was a large man? Six foot, two. Oh, my gosh. 50, 80 pounds. He was a sculptor. Very oh my gosh. Strong, strong, strong man. So I popped back and did exactly what I was told. And to make it not seem like, oh, everything was roses after that. Yeah. I, I want people to know that it was very hard because I then had to make a decision of what do I do now? Do, do I report this to the police? I reported it to the police. I went to a dear friend's house, you know, thank God for dear, beautiful friends to be able to take me in, allow me to express the emotions I needed to do. And then, uh, to have to make a larger decision. Now, I had a very, very a series of very significant roles at the school, and I did not want to leave. However, if you can imagine what it was like, I, I did stay for a little while, but every single thing that I had ever done, I, w I was a leader in that organization. Mm -hmm. I was, I was a interim chairperson of the, this very large department and working with teachers and students on a regular basis. And it, I went from that to being relegated to just teaching my classes and not having any say and having a lot of my salary taken away by this man. By him. Okay. Yes. So I went through a whole bunch of steps to reverse that, but no one was listening. And it was a very, it, the climate at that time 
was to hush, hush, sweep it under the rug, don't tell anyone, blah, blah, blah. Well, in that first week, a a lawyer, actually a prominent lawyer, had found out what happened to me. And she was an international lawyer for this very thing. She flew out to speak mm. with me. And we had a two and a half hour conversation about what had happened. And she goes, you have to testify. You have to go to court. And I said, listen, this man is a prominent leader in our community. He has the, the most leverage to get the best lawyers. They're going to slay me. They're going to slay me. And it's going to take 10 years I said, at least, yeah. I said, I, I want to. I don't want anyone to experience this because she, she was saying, if you don't do this, someone else might have this happen. I said, I am going to use everything in my power and asking for resources from the seen and unseen world to to make sure that that doesn't happen. But I'm not going to spend ten years of my beautiful life to do that because that is all I would be doing. I want to use my power, my life force, what I learned from my near death experience to affect amazing change on this planet. And it starts from within. Wow. It's, I can't imagine how challenging that would have been for so many reasons, but to be in the space of absolute love and bliss and knowledge and then be slammed back in your body. I would imagine you were in a lot of physical pain and instantly, you know, felt that again, I would imagine. And then to take all of the emotional content of that experience and try to keep walking one step in front of another and moving through your life and grappling with this huge decision. Do I, do I go this route and, you know, take the law and go that route? Or do I, enlist the unseen realms and, and the energy that I know that I'm capable of and have the faith to walk that path. And I just can't imagine how challenging that must've been, or maybe it wasn't because you did have, have all of that knowledge. Well, it was challenging in many respects of the, you know, we live in a dual planet. So, uh, I still experienced all the emotions I did. I experienced the grief of making a choice to leave that school. I had to leave the college. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was too oppressive and suppressive. Plus, I still had fear of what is this man capable of doing again mm-hmm. or to my property or to my students or to, you know, I just... And so I had to work with my fear. I had to release it. I absolutely solicited the unseen realms to support me. And I love the name of your podcast. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Because if I learned nothing else, I learned how to manifest and to manifest isn't just the snap of the fingers or, you know, you, you some of the movies that have been out about manifesting. And it's not right. about manifesting a Mercedes right. or other things like that. 
it is literally alchemical, transforming base metal into gold. What does that mean for us as human beings? It means transforming our own power from operating out of fear, self-protection, or to gain control or recognition or whatever it is versus lovingly, dynamically forgiving, mm-hmm. lovingly, dynamically creating the world in which we want to live, right? Yes. So, yes. oh, it was, it, like, I can't tell you the <laughs> amount of gratitude <laughs> that I felt. Yeah. You spoke earlier about, about the challenges also of coming back from these near-death experiences and how it can affect the body. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, well, I ended up um, having a severe thyroid issue. I almost had to have my thyroid removed because of what happened in that in that place. Um, and I don't need to go into detail of it, but just say that there were there were ramifications. Uh, sure, from this. sure. Uh, the trauma. I'll I'll talk about the trauma of. I, although I was trained as a counselor and trained as a teacher and trained to work with people all the time. So I've seen warring energetics, gang fights, uh, you know, going through communities as a counselor, as Mm -hmm. a psychotherapist and seeing gunshots going back and forth. So it's not that I wasn't familiar with violence. Mm -hmm. However, to have it imposed on your body is a whole nother level of trauma that I literally had to, uh, I had to navigate through. I had to work through and I'd listen to some of your other podcasts and there are many ways that you could do this. Um, like the tapping and the heart centeredness and the, um, psychotraumas and just healthy living of, being able to exercise and exercise the energy in healthy ways out of mm-hmm. the body, not suppressing it right, and to uh, transmuting it, literally. That seems to be one of the most important things, whatever works for that person, is to get that energy moving and out <laughs> so yeah. that it doesn't sit there and get stagnant and make us sick. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 When you think about taking responsibility. Cause I know that that was mentioned several times already, even in the portion of the book that I've gotten through and taking responsibility for our lives. I'm, I'm curious, did you learn, and I think you've already described it a little bit, but did you learn when you were in the other realm, what behind the scenes things were happening or what was happening inside of you that manifested this meeting with this past life connection that was, Traumatic, obviously, again, but my understanding is that when we have trauma in this life, it also can sort of drag in the remembrance of other traumas as well. Yes. Um, so I guess that's two different questions, but how did you see that manifesting? How, you know, how did that work that you came to meet this person in this way again in this life? That's a really good question. I, 
I, I know it's a hard one too. Yeah, I think that I think that what happens is what wherever we are in our lives actually magnetizes what we need to to unfold or what we're drawing to ourselves. So what was mm-hmm. I drawing to myself? I was in fear. Fear. You know, I was afraid my dad was going to die. I had just gotten through a divorce where, you know, I loved my husband and had to make a choice to um, remove myself from that relationship. He was not abusive, just uh, mm-hmm. to put that out there. He was actually uh, um, not taking care of himself yeah. to a point where I had to make a different choice. And we had been together quite some time. We're still good friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, I was experiencing grief and fear of being able to take care of myself in a world that was still not equalizing uh, the notion of being a woman and being fully capable of holding an excellent job. And it's not that I lacked confidence, that's for sure. But, and I was very intuitive, but coming at it in that place, what I would, uh, what I learned from that was my fear attracted situations that would help me to understand that I have power. Power. Mm. And power is not a bad thing. Many women are taught that power is a bad thing. It's yes, you are speaking my language. <laughs> it's what you do with the power. So, you know, as I said, consciously choosing power with versus power over and not powering over ourselves. So if we have our little small voices in our heads saying, don't say yes to this man for dating because there's something very something's off here and there there's lifetimes of energetics around it and how i determined that later on in retrospect was number one he would not stop asking me yeah so persistent what is that about right and he didn't do that with anything else so that was number one cue number two is that i kept running in my head If I don't say yes, I'm going to lose my job. That's still operating out of fear. Mm -hmm. Even though I was doing a fantastic job, I, my students love the work that we were doing. It was just terrific. It was a terrific experience, right? In so many ways. Um, And so all of my cells (laughs) were operating from lifetimes of maybe in my ancestry too. My Mm -hmm. relatives on my dad's side were very abused and, and learned to power over others. My dad had a father who, when I was very young, threw a whole um, pot of hot soup on his wife in front of me as a, as a four-year-old, as a four-year-old. And, and I'm going to bring this into global. 
So just as I might have been brought to this man to learn about how not to power over myself and to be in integrity of and see how my actions actually impacted. So in that past life of the executioner, what did I learn from this whole experience in this life? I am never going to turn a blind eye to what I'm choosing to do mm-hmm. and see the impact. What was the impact back then? I killed a man. Right. I killed a man. Whether he was guilty or not, I was the one who pulled the, the mm-hmm. trigger, so, so to speak, right? Yeah. And that does not let my strangler off the hook. No, right. Like, this is no, this, I am not um, condoning his mm-hmm. behavior. I am actually calling people in the world to say, I am a very powerful being. I could actually take someone's life if mm-hmm. they are in a space where they're operating out of fear. What was I drawing to myself in that space? Mm-hmm. Was some unconscious thing saying, I'm not worthy to live? I started to ask myself all those questions. Of course I'm worthy to live. So why am I letting this run my life? So from that point forward, just like in the world, so eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is the the karmic problem right now. Think of all the challenges that are in our lives right now. This is a gigantic Kali Yuga of a mess. And it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. And there are beautiful things within it. Mm-hmm. How do we manifest miraculous things in this mess? Mm-hmm. So collectively, humanity has drawn this to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I what are we, right? What are we mm-hmm. drawing to ourselves? Ah, maybe we are drawing the lesson on this earth of how can we shift from control and power over and lack of integrity in so many areas in the workplace, even mm-hmm. in even in spiritual organizations. And spiritually bypassing, mm-hmm. putting everything under the rug, like, oh, it's all good. Well, it's all good when you're out of your body and in another realm, it's all peaceful and beautiful. Yeah. But in this realm, it's not good. When we get cut, we bleed. Yeah. I. That's one of my, like, my passionate things to talk about, too, is that 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 spiritual escapism isn't really helping us because we are in a body. We chose to be in bodies and we're not, we shouldn't be trying to get away from it. Right. And, and living out there isn't helping the energetics on the planet in here. (laughs) Yeah. I see a lot of people doing that. So I think about, let, let me just put it this way. There must be, divine love brought to the table 
to everyone rather than to blame the out there, but to identify it. Let's say it's a few people trying to control and power over who have a lot of money Mm -hmm. and they are making decisions for the rest of the world. Well, rather than to just blame it out there, turn it inward just for a moment and say, what am I doing in my life Mm -hmm. to power over myself? to make these little choices that are maybe not so ethical, maybe not so truthful. Maybe I'm not walking my talk. How can I be a mentor in my small circles with my partner, with my family and with the world so that this can change? People who get into the mafia, and I do believe that what is going on right now is, is a larger series of mafia groups Okay. In globally, if I were to ask them, how did you get here? They might even be asking themselves, how did I get here? It's little Mm -hmm. small things of going out of integrity. Yeah. Or trying to power over or trying to protect someone else, not seeing the long-term consequences. Mm -hmm. So when people start to do that, whoa, miraculous things start to happen. When I left my job and I just felt horrible about leaving my job, what did it it do because I was operating out of divine love to do that once Mm -hmm. I made the decision? I was going towards something Mm -hmm. and trying to have faith in that. I, at the time, like I had nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. In terms of what people say materially, but I had everything in terms of now I have the tools and now I can make different choices Mm -hmm. every day, sometimes every moment. Yes. Second to second. I, I wrote down exactly what you were just speaking to that, you know, in the book, you talk about the seven vital keys to evolutionary leadership. Um, Again, I haven't gotten through the whole book, but the, the I've gotten through about a third of it, and it all is so relevant for right now. But you talk to the master key really being that in order to create the world outside, we have to recreate our world inside. And I believe that that's true. And what do you think? I mean, what do you see as a possibility if we could actually get people to recognize that and go, you know what, I'm going to stop blaming again just like your situation, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay that these things are happening. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's great, but what if I look at myself and I do my own inner healing and I reclaim these shadows of these really dark spaces that I don't even know inside of myself, like what could happen with the world if everyone actually did that? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. And, and it takes that release we talked about. So we recognize it rather than to then overlay with, oh, I'm, I'm such a horrible person. I shouldn't be here, which a lot of people do. But mm-hmm. to say, we are all human. There is not one single soul that can look back on their lives. I want to give those people the white book. <laughs> yeah. Here's the white book. Here's your white book. Yeah. Look Why at- do you think it's so hard for us to, to see 
all the good that we've done in the world and all that that we're capable of and really feel it in that divine way sometimes? I think it's in part because our our world has gotten co-opted to um, feeding off of fear. Mm-hmm. I call it fear porn. Yeah. In a world of fear porn. So what do, you know, media organizations get hired to create more drama and more fear porn? How, how many people, wouldn't it be wonderful if we created media that bridged between, okay, yeah, here's the reality. People do get killed. People uh, do commit heinous crimes. People do do this. But what if more of these stories, more of these dramas were about the transformation Mm -hmm. of people choosing to power over people and asking them, at the end of your life, what do you want to say happened during this life? Because we do, in a way, our souls live eternally. So this is an opportunity on this earth plane to bring ourselves to a place that's closer to the origins of source while bringing our uniqueness here. So, yes. you know, I, I think the, the world has moved into a place of um, wanting, <laughs> wanting to reflect what, what, I don't know, the, the, the takeover versus the, yeah. Let's be a phoenix rising out of this rubble, right? Right. Um, And we have an opportunity to do that right now. So so Kelly, I I was thinking this the other other day. I was thinking of you and, and reflecting and listening to your podcast. And I had this image of, you know, the whole thing of the, the cliched, uh, uh, caterpillar and butterfly. We are trying to decide whether to remain a caterpillar until our death or open up to these new possibilities. And we're fighting against each other like, no, I want to remain a caterpillar. No, we need to go here. And, and it is complete mayhem inside. I believe that that's what's happening in our world right now. There is so much fighting going on. I'm right. You're wrong. Right. You know, red, blue um, families fighting with each other about choices, about things that are happening with the the um, situation with everything, everything that's going on. Right. And it is painful for people. But. If we focus on, rather than fighting against, to say, what would I like the world to be like? What, how would I like my life to be different? And starting to operate out of that, then the, the notion of the butterfly, the new beginning while taking all of the learning from the caterpillar is allowed to emerge. Yes. So. If we found ourselves in the thick of the chaos, who would want to live amidst that chaotic 
craziness, right? Well, that's right. where we are right now. Mm-hmm. But the gift is we know what the outcome is. The outcome is if we allow it to emerge, it's going to be this amazing butterfly. Yes. And I... I think to that same point, I mean, I know personally, and I've seen this in so many people that even though it's been chaotic and challenging, and I mean, I can say personally, I can see how my soul growth opportunity is exponential. I mean, you know, just working through all the fears that I didn't even know were there and all the frustration and all the anger and all the this, that, and the other has been such a transmuting experience. And I think if we can get, you know, and I I see it around, I do feel like things are shifting. We're not there yet, but I do feel like people are kind of going like, wow, I do feel different after that. Maybe not all of their beliefs have changed, but they're cracked open and sensing things because of all of that turmoil. And I do think we're just in this beautiful opportunity that has been insane, (laughs) completely insane, but I really see a light. I really, really do. I see that beautiful butterfly. I think we've got a long way to go, but I'm hopeful. Yes. One other thing I'll say too about the near-death experiences related to this is that to um, be able to stand in the truth that you feel inside of your heart. Nobody has a cornerstone on truth. Mm. However, when we ask ourselves, is what I'm about to do or say resonating with truth and love or fear and resistance Mm -hmm. to life? Mm -hmm then you're going to come pretty close to where the larger context of truth resides. Mm -hmm. And when you look at organizations and just spiritual and religious organizations around, you know, I think of the 10 commandments, like the the opportunity to do no harm Mm -hmm. as a core premise of truthfulness Like, do you think it's okay to kill someone? Right. Do you think it's okay to intentionally harm someone's heart? Usually the answer is no. From, you know, 99% of the people. For most of us. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So so you see how when, when you align with that truth, then the calling in of the courage to be able to stand up to that in the face of adversity Mm -hmm. because many people lost many family members, many friends, not just, not just to death, but to their connection and their expression of love to each other. Yes. Because there was such a fight to, I need to be right Right. Mm -hmm. versus This is the choice I am making for myself because it resonates with truth and divine love as I bring my life into greater fruition, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's been such a journey and I, 
there was certainly, I mean, like I said, huge growth opportunities for me during all of this as everyone else. But I think that was one of the biggest things that I recognized was that energy of wanting to be right. And I know that I found instant peace when I finally thought, I don't care if I'm right. I just want to do what I know is right for me. And there, there is no right because everyone on the planet has a different perspective based on what they've been through. And I've been through my life and they've been through theirs and I give them permission to be where they are, you know? And I can tell you, it was like, it was like, oh, <laughs> it just laid it all down and everything felt different at that point. I'm not going to yeah. say I don't still struggle with it here, here and there, but yeah, it was, it was a big moment kind of having that epiphany. Yes. And also not being, not being afraid to share what you understand as the truth mm-hmm. with others and then allow them to make their own choice. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do allude to Nazi Germany, like th- there were many people who, who understood the truth of people were being killed. Yeah. There was a genocide going on and imagine the courageous souls who tried their best to support um, the truth coming out mm-hmm. and to protect those as best they could in the ways that each of us do, yeah. small and large, to help the benefit of humanity and our planet. Mm. Yeah, such courage, such courage. Yeah. And I know it's in each of us. We can find it. Yeah. So Kelly, I know that you and I talked a little bit about like, how do, how do we begin this for ourselves? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do in my work is to help people to tap into where do we start? Yes. (laughs) You know, and I have people who are, who have jobs that are not as leveraged in leadership as others, mm-hmm. you know, seeing, uh, I, I believe that everyone is, uh, equally valuable, no matter what they do, no matter what they look like, mm-hmm. no matter, um, no matter what. And I believe that everyone is a leader in some way. Yes, me too. Me too. That's exactly the point of my book. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's a little harder to access people who are in more visible positions of leadership, those who are diplomats, those who are presidents or prime ministers. However, the same things apply to them. So part of my work is to serve as a consultant, a leadership consultant, to draw out those areas that they might be blind to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and when I need assistance, that's what I do. I seek out help mm-hmm. to see where my blind, where are my blinders, right. you know? Yes. And so combining a balancing of intuition and logic on this planet right now to me is one of the most important things to do. Mm-hmm. Providing a bridge, which I think you're absolutely doing in this podcast, is allowing a bridge from the unseen world to our seen world. 
in which we live that we have to deal with. We have to deal yeah. with paying bills. We have to deal with all of it. Um, you know, our our health issues and everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean just because all those things are happening that we cannot facilitate miracles within our own lives and pathways that are best for us. So I wanted to offer to you a, a little mini example. I would love that. Of the intuitive yes. work. Yeah. Oh, I'm all for it. I'm here for it. (laughs) Okay. So, so what I'd like you to do is just to close your eyes for a moment. And since we just went through this interview and there was a lot of information exchanged, I just want you to settle into who you are right now and all the beautiful things that you brought to this planet. Feel your amazing heart, your gigantic heart, and the ways that you have hit up against your edges and it might have, you know, stumbling, fallen like we all do. And I'd like you to just focus on one area or one question that you don't know the answer to that you feel maybe is your cutting edge or or stuck by, or something to that nature. So just sit with that for a minute. Hmm. I'm like, oh, I have this question, this question, this question. I'm just going to have to have a session with you, I think, (laughs) because there's so many questions. So let me me hone it in a little more then. Pick one area or question that might bring you to a place where you might go out of integrity or might feel like you're trying to power over yourself in some way. Mm. Go with your heart where, where fear is creeping in. Yeah. You know, I, I very much wanted to ask about professional questions, but I'm feeling guided to mention that I'm, my kids are going into their teenage years. I have a 16 year old and I'm recognizing, you know, I've worked through so much fear in my life. I'm, I've very much was programmed with a lot of fear. I think ancestrally, I brought myself into a body that had a lot of fear, um, and I've worked through so much, but I'm recognizing that as my kids get older and they start to do that very natural detachment and start to live their own lives, I'm feeling that fear come up. And I definitely recognize the places where I want to power over for their safety. Um, so that's, I wanted to ask about professional stuff, but that was the thing when you said it that way that, that stepped forward. Oh, that is, that's so terrific because and I've talked to many CEOs, many people with with uh, leveraged power in circumstances that to separate your life from your work is impossible. So what you, how you treat your son or your family or the people around you has a thread mm-hmm. of how 
you address your career. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is really, really important. So that's the that's the concrete lo- logical part. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I go into a session, I combine intuitive and logical ways of expressing. I may ask you questions. This portion of the session that I want to share with you is a deep dive. I go into a semi-trance for the more intuitive piece where I set aside my personality to allow your ancestors, perhaps, and all the master teachers Mm -hmm. that that blessed me with their presence in my near-death experience and also those of beneficent nature. We always, we only let that in that is for the best and highest good. That doesn't mean that uh, we don't look at shadow. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. It just means that only that which is to bring in benefit for you will come in. And then in that space, I... I'll address the question you're asking by allowing these guides to speak through me. And then at some point I will ask, do you have any more questions or allow you little mini questions to clarify something? Sounds wonderful. Okay, great. And I want to let your audience know that um, I I have a singing bowl in my hand. Oh, that's beautiful. To bring to bring uh, kind of a, a ceremonial entry, a gratitude, an invitation uh, each time that I do this. This was gifted to me by a client many years ago, and I was stunned to find out that it was done in 322 AD, pounded. Oh my pounded. goodness! Yeah. Whoa. And pounded by Tibetan monks. Oh my gosh, I have full body goosebumps. That is so cool. <laughs> I, I and I always get goosebumps when I hold this. Oh so I am a goodness. It's, and it's beautiful. Oh. And in each of these singing bowls, there is an a, a sort of divine instruction. And this particular one is completely related to divine love. So every pound that they did, they thought they infused it intentionally with divine love. So that's what we start out the so excited. Great Spirit, Divine Source, all that is, all the Master Teachers and Loving Guides, those from the Ancestral and Angelic Realms, thank you for your presence on this day. Thank you for the messages that you will gift us with as my filters and personality are set aside such that what needs to be spoken and shared can be. And may it be for the best and highest good of this beautiful being in front of me, Kelly, 
all that she brings on this planet, all of her, her whole self, those shadows and lights that make her who she is and make her whole as she is right now, right here and now. The master teachers are surrounding your son. They are expressing to him what a beautiful choice he made in selecting you as his mother. They're also expressing to him how this time on this earth, his linear time of 16, is a time where you are being called to an initiation. The initiation is this. When you are asked to be the guardian of a soul embodied, there comes a point where the son or daughter must be released into the universe. It does not mean that there is a severing. Imagine a beautiful series of lights that intersect, that house divine love. You and your son are in that intersection. He will come in and out of your life. The love will never end. It is like the cords, and this is healthy cords, not cords that have been described and distorted in the earth realm of cutting cords. Those are different type of cords. Those are the cords of needing to cut away from those things that harm us. The divinely loving cords are those that are freeing. They are expressing the heart love of the divine always. But just as you dear Kelly, have had the opportunity to make mistakes in this life, to stumble and fall. That has forged you into the person that you are becoming. Your son simultaneously is being shown as having a personality with some stubbornness. 
The stubbornness can be a gift because it means that there is a determination to do what needs to be done. But when stubbornness is pushed to the edge and becomes a powering over action on his part, then it is no longer in the ebb of flow of life, but is based upon fear of being out of control. This, on his end, is what triggers his desire to power against you. There needs to be a place that both of you can come to where you're fearing that he might be harmed. And rather than controlling over with protection, you can power with love and allow him the freedom and trust that he is watched over no matter what happens. For now, your guidance will be less and less needed. You have brought him to a place of great teaching where he will now have the opportunity to teach others how to be responsible for his own actions or make the mistakes that will bring him to a greater understanding. This, Kelly, is a perfect opportunity for you to initiate your knowing that you do not own your children. You have chosen to be a guardian for them. Just like human beings are not owners of the earth, but they are guardians of the earth. They are facilitators of what occurs. You and your son are being asked to do a home play. This is like homework without it being drudgery. You are being asked to look back on your life together. What are the gifts that you gave as guidance to your son? Ask both yourself and ask your son to do this. How have you gifted your son? And what are the ways in which you might have powered over too much? Now, powering over is very important when there's an emergency. And children need protection in that way until they reach a certain age. This is a perfect age to begin to loosen that rein, to allow your son 
to take your beautiful gifts and explore his own life with them while you still can express concern about how he makes the choices he does and allow him the opportunity to come to you if he needs advice or support. The scenario I'm being shown is that your son has gotten to a point much like a horse that can be brought to water but will refuse to drink, no matter how much an owner might think that he's suffering from heat exhaustion. This is also not condemning anyone in this place. But this is allowing you to see how your next step with power will help you tremendously in your life. A letting go and a surrendering now that you have been an amazing mentor for your son's learning. Ask him how he has gifted you over his life and ask him how he might have made it more challenging for you in the things that he's said and done. Ask each other, what would you like your relationship to look like going forward? You can be proud of him. You can allow him his own Independence. Imagine yourself and your own feistiness around being independent while you still held lots of fears. Your son can also call on being protected in the unseen realms so that he could learn to make more discerning decisions and not harm himself in doing so. To be more responsible for the actions he takes so that he won't inadvertently harm someone else in the process. When these dialogues occur before Perhaps challenges occur or choices that are made bring new experiences that might feel traumatic. Before that happens, there can be a learning, a growing. An understanding of what is to come before it happens. Here are some of the pathways that can occur if I make this choice or that choice. It is actually a building up and understanding of 
our intuitive gifts as human beings that we were born to develop but suppress. Your son is actually very intuitive, as are you. This is an initiation of your son to take in more of his intuitive capabilities, to develop them in a way so that, that he can make choices that will miraculously help to save his life or someone else's, to help him to make choices in which the very things he would like to happen in his life might emerge with greater ease. Yes. Take a deep breath. Forgive your son. Forgive yourself for powering over. But in discerning context, as a mom, you rightfully powered over when you needed to, to save your son's life, to be protected just as was intended, and to teach him how to protect himself so that now you don't have to do it as much. That doesn't mean you still won't be protective, but you won't interfere with his capacity to power with himself to make the best choices. One other piece related to this is that there is a misunderstanding on being told in perhaps both of your minds that it's just black and white. You either do it or not. Well, there are circumstances where this is the case, where it is just a yes or no. But many decisions in your world are filled with gray areas and many options to make decisions that include, if I do this, then this. And then, if this happens, I can do this, this, or this. You and your son are being asked to ask this question. Is what I am about to do, say, think, or feel going to harm and stop a healthy process, or is it forward moving, 
for an ethical and loving choice as healthy as humanly possible. This question can be a guidepost and it can be simplified to two things. All those questions of, is this what I am about to do, say, think, feel, even be, or lead? Loving or not, healthy or not. and healthy now and in the future. Very simple questions. They are powerful. They bring you to an understanding of how much influence you have in your own life and the lives of others. You have a choice to harm with a word. You have a choice to harm with overprotection. But you also must be discerning. How can I express my protection, which is a loving thing, in the best ways possible, considering my son is becoming a man. Ah, so good. As always, thank you for being a part of the Manny Lab pod. I'm so grateful to have you all with me and look forward to sharing many more episodes with you. Joyce has offered us a 50% off initial transformational leadership breakthrough session. If you're interested in using that, you can find her at leadbywisdom.com or you can contact her at joyceanastasia at gmail.com. I'm going to go ahead and spell that for you to make it easier. It's J-O-Y-C-E-A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A at gmail.com. Again, that's for 50% off an initial session. I could tell there was a huge shift in the energy between my son and I after I had that short little reading with her. I don't even know if you call that a reading, but the short little session, we'll just call it that. Um, not only were her words profound, I feel like the energy and the resonance with her is just really delightful and healing all in itself. So we definitely recommend it. As always, if you want to leave an honest review, it's always appreciated. I like to hear where I can improve, where things are landing, where they're resonating. And um, I just like to connect with you all and see who's listening in. If you have a friend or family member or sibling or coworker that you feel like might benefit from these conversations, don't forget to share it with them and subscribe to the podcast. I will see you in the next episode. Bye, friends. Bye.